As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling? Hear that co-host shouting, it's Dana and Jay. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growl and Paul Eater Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Wishing you and yours happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all the things. Uh, as we're, we're, we're about on Christmas weekend is upon us, Jay Bengals at yeah. Patriots on Saturday. It's been good knowing you as a resident of the city of Cincinnati or Hamilton. If you ever make it back, <laughs> I, I think I'll be fine. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I moved up my flight. I'm going to fly out Thursday, just like the Bengals. And, uh, I, I think everything should be out of the way by Christmas day. When I return, I just, I, I feel great right now. I'm a, I'm a lifelong procrastinator. And that includes Christmas shopping. Like this is usually when I start my Christmas shopping. And because of this trip, I got it all done early. And it, it is a fantastic feeling to have mm. it out of the way. That must be a great feeling. You're, you're usually, you're like fighting the crowds at Rookwood uh, on the 23rd at like 5.32 p.m., <laughs> right? No, I, I live in Hamilton. I don't go to Rookwood. I go to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shout out to Hamilton Walmart. I'm sure it's a fine establishment. Um, (laughs) All right. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to here. Uh, A bunch of news of kind of just a little bit of bits and pieces that have been going on during the week that we want to walk you through. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of the streaks that are happening as a perspective on that. Um, Jay has a great story out now on Joseph Osai um, as he kind of is starting to have his his come out party here lately. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about that. You'll hear from uh, Joe. Uh, Chad Graff joins us from New England to give us a Patriots perspective. Uh, great conversation Jay had with him. Uh, then we have some Arby's. Jay's going to have a whole Got Stats section. We have a very Christmassy growler bet, run passer boot, and uh, predictions and all of that stuff coming at the end. But a lot to get to. 
as the Bengals are about to go to New England. Uh, reminder, uh, our next live event is scheduled, live podcast, uh, Go Long TD and Hear That Podcast Growling Combo event at 50 West on New Year's Day at 12.30 p.m. We're going to start. Um, we got a nice heated tent out there. You can fit a bunch of people. Um, we're going to hang out with Tyler Dunn. If you don't know, he does incredible work. Uh, he's going to be in town. Uh, some of his subscribers, some of our subscribers. It's uh, going to be great to have you all out there. Uh, come listen, have some beers, watch Ravens and Sealers in the 1 p.m. window. They'll have TV set up in there. Uh, we'll, we'll talk uh, Bengals, Bills, Bring Your Family, ice skating, all the stuff. going to be a great event. Really excited about it. Um, Let's talk about injuries, uh, Jay, because that's kind of been the topic of the week. Things are kind of rounding into shape health-wise a little bit. It it really is amazing when you look at the the guys that they've had hurt and the injuries they've had, and they they've missed time, but they they've really avoided disaster outside of Awuzie being lost for the year. You know. Chase goes out and he comes back. You know, now Hayden Hurst went out for a few games. He's coming back, it looks like, on Sunday. It's this team has really been fortunate. You wrote about it before, about how that was supposed to be the regression of of you know the, the injury luck last year. And they have had worse luck with injuries this year. But the guys that have stepped in when the starters have been out have been fantastic. And the starters that have gone out have returned for the most part. And this time of year. Yet the injury list looks kind of full. The injury report for, that we get from practice, but it, it a lot of those guys are trending toward playing this week. And for for week fifteen, uh, this is about as as good as you could ask for. Well, and this time of year is full of you know packed injury reports. It's just mm-hmm. everybody's kind of playing through something, and that's usually kind of the lesson. One thing that was pointed out to me about that depth thing, which you mentioned, I wrote about earlier this week, but also Darren Simmons said he's like it, it's not just you know, these reserve guys that have come up. It's it's that next tick down level. You know, it's T playing like a true number one when Jamar mm-hmm. was out. You know, it's it's the way and even Hayden Hurstfield and some of that and defensively, you know, Cam Taylor Britt, whatever. I mean guys guys that are also a part of it have picked everybody else up, you know, the way that Sam Hubbard played uh as a part of helping when when DJ Reader was out. Whatever. I mean you go down the line but he's like, it's 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 that level of the guys adjacent um, mm-hmm. that have helped. And that's really been the thing to me is all these guys we talk about that have had injuries. Um, yeah, guys are filling in for them and taking those spots and having some production. But it's the way the rest of the starters have kind of lifted it. And kudos to the coaching staff for uh, concocting game plans that specialize in featuring those others and that have been – successful so that's kind of um you know that's kind of a big part of it uh for sure um let's let's run down the list here you you were in talking to hayden hurst yesterday who has practiced limited the last two days i'm gonna guess we'll get a questionable tag on him uh you maybe listen to this injury report may already be out so make sure you're following us on twitter but um when it comes out later today uh what would you take away from what hayden's perspective on possibly coming back this week from his calf yeah, I know you you say this all the time. Don't listen to the players. They always say they can play, but this is a little different. He's already missed his time. He sounded really optimistic. Like he plans on playing and and he he said the main thing was was testing the push off. And 
that felt great. And the, the cutting and the planning, he said his calf feels great. I asked him about jumping because that just kind of with Sam Hubbard going down with the calf on back-to-back plays when, when he jumped, um, he said that's not really an issue that – that he feels confident and not only that he's going to play, but there will be no pitch count when he gets back, he's going to be full go. He's going to play the entire game. So just that, that level of optimism that he had uh, sounded like he is going to be good to go at full speed all game long. Yeah. Um, we're talking to Tyler Boyd yesterday a little bit and uh, you know, he, we were talking of course about him playing through injury and stuff. And I, I think we asked him sort of a little bit about, if there's a message that you're trying to send by fighting through it, and, he, and his point was kind of like, not really. It wasn't a message. It's just the way things are around here. Like, guys mm. play through stuff here. And not that they don't elsewhere, but this time of year, when it gets late in the year, and business decisions are made, and dudes are like, look, I'm hurt. Uh, they don't want to go out there and do it. There's very much, and it helps when you've won six in a row, and you're <laughs> in in the mix, and yeah. you got everything to play for. But there's always been sort of this attitude in this locker room, and they they target guys. We've talked about this in the past where when we talk about toughness and guys that love the team and love ball, um, uh, 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 something you, when you're trying to find that, well, how do you find that, right? How do you, how do you recruit that? How do you draft that? One that they always look for are guys that are willing to play through injury, willing to practice through injury. That, they, that there's a toughness in that that gives you that that really do it because they care about their team and don't want to let their teammates down. That's how you get this type of culture. That's something that they look for, and mm-hmm. um, you've seen that across the board. And Boyd was a perfect example of it too. Hayden Hurst talking about as soon as I can get back, I'm going to get back. I'm not going to give it the extra week to make sure. You know, maybe the, that's on the team and the doctors to do that to rein them back in, but. Um, they de- th- there is a team full of guys that are all willing to play through stuff. Speaking of Mike Hilton, um, also back with the knee. Uh, Jay, you also talked to him about that, and he was talking about how it, it hyperextended uh, yeah. when he hit Deshaun Watson. But you know he's been back out there again in a limited capacity. It's clearly still bugging him, but he's obviously out there trying to get back and thinks he's going to play on Sunday. Yeah, he, he's planning on it, and that's what it was. Was he he kind of banged knees with uh, Deshaun Watson, and then when he landed, the it bent the, the leg straightened and hyperextended, and <clears throat> excuse me, he was able to play through it. But as is the case, a lot of times the adrenaline's going, you can you can fight off that initial pain, and then the next day it's super sore and stiff, and that's why they just played it cautious last week against Tampa. But he, like Hayden Hurst, is expecting to be out there on Sunday or yeah. Saturday. Saturday, exactly. Um, Trey Hendrickson, uh, as I told you on Tuesday, there's optimism that he's going to play uh, this weekend, which is a big boost opposite Sam Hubbard. Uh, I think a lot of people thought that maybe he would be back for a while, but actually, um, you know, that wasn't exact. That wasn't the case at all. And, and um, so he's expecting to come out there and play. Now we'll see in what full capacity, but um, he's been out there limited. He looks like he has a little something on his wrist. I don't know what it is, but this isn't a club situation. doesn't no. appear to be. At least it hasn't been in practice at all. Maybe they do something a little bit bigger in the game, but it's been something very small. He's kind of He doesn't walk around with a cast or anything like that um, in the locker room. So uh, obviously – feeling okay there uh same thing higgins fine tyler boyd uh all gonna continue 
uh, to go with their injuries. Sam Hubbard is the serious injury out there right now. You know, you're going to look at probably missing the rest of the regular season. Maybe that Ravens game, like we told you earlier this week, he could come back. But um, focus on the playoffs mostly probably for Sam. A lot of that will be depending on what's on the line, how it's feeling, how quickly that calf heals. Um, let's move forward. Pro Bowl was announced. KJ, I'm going to need to compose myself and take a breath. People that have listened to this podcast are going back to my Inquirer days. I <laughs> despised the Pro Bowl and the voting process for a long, long time. It always gets my blood pressure up. I've, I've, I've resigned myself to it with just an annual PSA that I tweet every time the Pro Bowl comes out. You can go ahead and inform people of what the uh, who the Bengals Pro Bowlers and alternates were. Well, so the the starters are are Burrow for the first time. And not starters, but the ones the that starters, are the, yeah, the, the ones that are in, um, and then Chase and Hendrickson are both going for the second time. Uh, the alternates: uh, Jesse Bates, second alternate; Tyler Boyd, third; Joe Mixon, third; Evan McPherson, Evan McPherson, fourth; Von Bell, fifth; DJ Reader, fifth. That's a crime. And Ted Karras, fifth. And the the voting there's it's a third by the fans, a third by the coaches, a third by the players. The only three Bengals that were in the top 10 of their position were Joe Burrow uh, in fan voting were Joe Burrow, Von Bell and Jesse Bates. What do those three guys have in common? What? Their name starts with B. They're at the top of the list. The players are listed alphabetically. That's what fans do. They are lazy. They go in. They vote for the guys on their team. They're not allowed to submit a, a ballot unless they fill out every position. So they just pick. Remember a couple of years ago, Hakeem Adeniji was at the top of the list. Yeah. That that's what the, the fan voting is <laughs> is a sham. Um, so yeah, that's that's why that happened, and it sucks because you know. Jamar Chase, not in the top 10 of fan voting, but he makes it as a as a starter. Same with Trey Hendrickson, because they has, they have so much respect around the league. Um, I'm I'm a little surprised that these got players and coaches watch more tape than anybody. Obviously, I don't understand how DJ Reader is, is a fifth alternate because players don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. They, they, now, a lot of them joke. Offensive around linemen too. know DJ Reader and maybe yeah. they cross. I mean, you're also you're only really watching cross tape. You're only mm-hmm. you're voting for your buddies, and you're voting for your buddies. By the way, because they a lot of people have incentives now. The CBA has unbelievably decided to link Pro Bowl voting to the escalators on these rookie contracts. Um, and not that not that Jamar Chase doesn't deserve an escalator, but anybody that has these rookie deals that goes to a certain number of Pro Bowls gets a massive uh, raise as part of. Um, the rookie contract. I have no problem with guys getting incentives and getting raises, but let's make sure the right people are getting that. I I would want everyone to get it, but look, the people that get left out is the, are the crimes on that don't get these escalators because Pro Bowl's stupid and fans are out here voting and players don't pay any attention. I mean, they but the Bengals talk about how they you know they try to get the players to go they got to get them vote before the deadline's over and it's hard to do it's like these players half of them won't even put in their their ballots or if they do again you're just voting in your your friends or whatever it is and it's like and you don't really know you don't really they're not going to I don't blame these guys they don't they shouldn't be paying them attention 
to every single guy in the league and understanding every single guy in the league and what they all do. Like that's not their job to be on top of all of that. And and they shouldn't put that on themselves, especially when they're just randomly filling something out on a Tuesday because it's supposed to be in five minutes. So I, I just the fact that that ends up being, that's sixty six percent of this stuff. There's a lot of names that deserve to be on there. That's not the thing. Like a lot of them do, and I'm very happy for everybody that gets the recognition and the money that comes along with this stuff. The problem is so many people that deserve recognition and also deserve those incentives that never get them because mm-hmm. they're not the popular, they weren't high draft picks, they're not on these teams that win and play these high profile games all the time. You know, that's why point yourself to all pro point yourself to PFF lists, things like that. And I'm not saying these any of these are perfect, but at least you know there's a fine-tooth comb on everybody with this stuff. It's such a popularity contest. I hate that money has gotten connected to it for some of these guys. Um, and I love the stories. Like, if, did you see the Washington Commanders I was just going to say, yeah, I was going to say if I could offer a flip side to that, that, that was amazing. No, it but was... that's not the flip side, Jay. <laughs> that is amazing. And I love that that happens. But there are so many people that deserve that same moment that never get it. That's no, the I mean, point. There are, there, are, there, are, there are dozens of Jeremy Reeves. Yeah. out there that deserve it. It's not that he doesn't deserve it or that those aren't great. Those are great. But got other guys that deserve it too should be getting those moments and it should be the right ones. That's why people should care more about how this process goes. That's all I'm saying. It's not that that's not great. That is great. That's the point. It can be so great. It really should. They really should put more time and focus and attention into assuring that the right people get in. But when I said it was the flip side, I meant that we were talking about the players don't really care about it. They don't take oh, it serious. Yeah. But when it but but yes, when you when you are voted, it, yeah, it obviously means a lot. And I thought it was great. It wasn't just Jeremy Reeves breaking down and crying. It was Tressway crying when like Tressway found out he made it. He's like, oh, great. He was happy. Then he finds out his teammate made it mm-hmm. and he started getting tears in his eyes. And it was just it was uh, that was a great piece by the Washington social media team. That was it was the way they set it up and then the players reactions. And um, that is you do, you wish you could see more of that, that everybody would take this serious and maybe there could be some sort of committee that actually, I don't know, maybe the media, the media probably watches more games and film than anybody. Maybe, maybe we should get a vote. Well, I do think there's, I'm not going to sit here and waste this podcast about how to fix the pro bowl. Cause I, you know, whatever, I don't think anybody has it's not even a game that. anymore. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, but it is about recognition and money and, and accolades and, and like when people have Hall of Fame conversations, people use Pro Bowls as part of the conversation. Get the hell out of here, man. Like, stop using that. And it drives me nuts. But like so I I'm just saying maybe the maybe the media should be a, a third of that or or a, a committee of media like you have for all pro. Like you have pick people that have been around for a while that will take it seriously, you know, things like that. That can be not to be the whole thing, but to be a third or to be a quarter or whatever you want to do. Look, I love fans. I love that fans can vote and it's super cool that they find there's so many ways to involve fans. Okay. Beyond this, when you start getting money involved like that. Okay. Um, That's all I'm saying. And players too, where there's vested interests back and forth. Anyway, I'm done. I'm done. We have Bengals Patriots things to talk about. I don't want to (laughs) waste any more time on this. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Oh, wait, I've got another thing on my list that's going to get me going. Uh, here we go. So, we look, we love everybody. I love everybody here that works at The Athletic. We have um, lots of different opinions. That's what makes this sports great. Opinions are great. We should all have different sides of things. There's a story. Um, our Athletic Persons of the Year were announced, and it was uh, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes uh, in the NFL. And uh, in a column was written by Mike Jones. Uh, you've seen it circulate. Um, talks about it. This is their league now. And Allen and Mahomes. And these guys are great. Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are phenomenal. They are revolutionary. They are elite of the elite. No problem with any of that discussion. Sports people of the year, whatever. That game was incredible. The one that happened in the divisional round. Not the not the ones the Super Bowl and the week after, but anyway. Why Joe Burrow is consistently excluded from this discourse is beyond me. Not that he should be the guy or we want to get into ratings and comparing. It's fine. The consistent exclusion from this discourse <coughs> is really the thing that I am always just kind of blown away by. I mean... It's a there's a discredit. We talked about this in the Brady stuff, right? Early in Brady's career, it was Belichick and the defense, and they're being careful with Brady. But I don't think people see Burrow that way, other than they just kind of refuse to give him the credit because he doesn't play that big, awesome, huge, flashy social media highlight driven uh, style. And I just, it's just remarkable to me that you continue to have the concept of Allen and Mahomes here. And Burrow, not. Um, now, that will change dramatically depending on what happens in the next six weeks. But it's just it's just a a thing that I had to get off my chest. I don't I don't understand, and I get it. Like people don't pay as much attention and all that stuff, and they have been around for longer. Um, certainly, Patrick deserves all the praise that he gets, and Josh. I mean, these guys are great. It's just not about them. I just don't understand the the like refusal to include Burrow in the discourse almost ever. That's not just specifically about this piece. It, what I don't get is how people they, 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 they do it both ways. They denigrate what Zach Taylor has done here because, oh, we found a generational quarterback and this is all Joe Burrow. And then something like this comes out and it's basically saying, well, it, you look at what Joe Burrow's done and what are they saying that's attributed to if it's if it's not what he's done. You're right. It is so much of it is about the the highlight real type of plays. And he, he doesn't have the huge arm. He doesn't make the crazy arm angle throws. And it, it, but I mean, he, he's got to be in the conversation. I, I, I don't well, it know. It depends I don't, on who's having the conversation. 
I mean, what is it? He's he's your court. He's your favorite quarterback's favorite quarterback. What you always talk about the pros, <laughs> pro, right? Yeah. It's like I mean, the people that understand really understand the inner workings of the game, the coordinators of the world, the offensive, defensive coordinators, QB coaches, guys that study, understand the challenges of what of just executing every play and stuff is. I think there's a true um, understanding of the elite nature of the way he plays the game and his ability to rise up at the end of games and in the high leverage moments and what have you. Um, at some point, winning will be all that matters, and Joe Burr is going to be in plenty of these conversations. Uh, I just, it's, it's just kind of remarkable to me that it's still, he's still the uh, amongst the others, right? Yeah, I, I think Bengals fans should be thrilled with this article because we know Joe Burrow will find an edge anywhere he can get it, yeah. and I imagine someone might show him this article. Uh, before the Monday night game against Buffalo. Next and in week. fact, you're listening to this right now. Go ahead and put the Joe Burrow face on the Michael Jordan meme. And I took that <laughs> personal. I've been saying they've been this. They've been this walking, talking. And I was like, I was kind of wondering, what's it going to be this week? You know, they've been the every week they've had something. They've been the and I took this personal uh, thing every week. And what's it going to be this week? Well, here comes the Pro Bowl. Here comes <laughs> the Burrow story. And it's just, uh, you know, I'm sure it's probably already hanging in his locker. So, um all right, I want to talk uh, for a minute before we get to uh, a couple other topics here about the streaks that are, well, really one main streak, the streak, <clears throat> six in a row. The Bengals have one here. Um, just for some perspective, um, that is the longest in-season streak uh, for well, the it's if they win, it will be tied for the second longest in season streak, um, in team history. The six, there's uh, let's see, there's how many are here? Four, four, four times they've won. This being one of four times they have won six in a row, including most of them in the 70s. The 88 team, uh, won six in a row in 1970, they won seven in a row. Um, this is just single season streaks. Um, and then of course the eight straight in 2015. Uh, so they're, they're, they're bearing down on that. Um, and it's just, it's incredible perspective to show you where they're at and who they've done it against, how they've done it has been remarkable. We touched on that on Tuesday. It got me thinking, Jay, you know, it's never good, (laughs) but six game streak when it came like man to do it at the end of a season you can't be more prepared for a playoff run right so I wanted to look last 10 years teams that have had a streak in the second half of a season week 8 on so it doesn't have to be all the way through or it doesn't have to whatever just a long winning streak in the second half of a season what happened next was there momentum was this an indicator of that team was rolling, they continued rolling. This really matters to winning, making a Super Bowl run, winning a Super Bowl. Okay, I quizzed you on this yesterday, um, and so you know the answer. Mm. But I looked at ten teams that had a streak of at least seven wins in the second half of a season over the last ten years. So win one more on Sunday, and the Bengals will be amongst this mix. There were there were ten. There were ten teams. I'm going to pause for a second and let our listeners think about how many of those ten they think 
won the Super Bowl or made it to the Super Bowl and lost. Do 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 dip 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 Okay. One Super Bowl. One team won the Super Bowl. It was the 2016 New England Patriots who were a miracle comeback away from that answer being zero. Yeah. The those of 28 to 3 Super Bowl victory. So one won the Super Bowl. Two others lost the suit in the Super Bowl. Okay? So you have the lost in the Super Bowl teams as the 2015 Panthers who lost to the Broncos and the 2020 Chiefs who lost in the Super Bowl to the Bucks. So 3 of the 10 made the Super Bowl. 3 Others lost in the conference championship game. Okay, that includes last year's Chiefs to the Bengals, who had a streak of eight in a row in the second half of the season. Okay, that was snapped by the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> um, and and so you, you have them losing in the conference championship game. The 2015 Cardinals lost in the conference championship game to that Panthers team that yeah. I just mentioned that went to the Super Bowl. So you had a kind of a head-to-head thing there. And the 2016 Steelers lost to the Patriots, who also had a streak, right? These They run into each other there. Um, so they couldn't go on. So you have six of the ten at least make it to the conference championship game and end up, you know, end up playing others that have had similar streaks, right? It's kind of strength running into strength. So 60% is pretty good if you're in the mix. We talk all the time, right? Get to the conference championship game. See what happens. Like yeah. you're there at that level. These are coin flip games. These are bounce of the ball games. You just want to be in that mix every year. If you're there in the conference championship game, aka Tom Brady, every year. I mean, it's unbelievable that just some some you win, some you lose. It's the ability to get there is really where you want out of your consistency. Here's the crazy thing to me, Jay, and you as an appreciator of stats can probably appreciate this. The three longest streaks. So the Broncos with 10 in a row, I mean, they won every game on out from early October on in 2012, Peyton Manning's first season there. The 2019 Ravens ripped off nine in a row, Mm. and the 2015 Chiefs ripped off nine in a row. Those were the longest streaks. All lost their first games in the divisional round. Isn't that weird? It's crazy. And so what you're saying is suck for the Super Bowl. Suck they, they for the they, Super Bowl. They, <laughs> punt for Phoenix. Um, <laughs> they, 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 they can't win nine in a row. They have to lose one of these final three and uh, do not go into the playoffs on a nine-game winning streak. Yeah, I don't know. It's a very odd thing. Uh, the 2012 Broncos, that was, of course, a game against the Ravens in the divisional round where mm. uh, Joe Flacco closed his eyes and threw it 70, years to, 70 yards to Jacoby Jones for a miracle to send it to overtime. And then Justin Tucker... Uh, had a field goal in double overtime to win that game. I am reluctant to bring that up to Brian Callahan, but I probably will uh, because he was on that Broncos team that was so good in cruising. Uh, But it's, you know, I, I go back to Zach Taylor talking about after Sunday, we needed this type of a game to come from behind. Mm -hmm. Things have been, because things have been going kind of easy a little bit. I think you, you run into a little bit of this where if things are going too well, you know, the battle-tested nature, the 
high intensity every week, um, and it does shouldn't feel easy. I think there's something to that. I'm not saying they need to lose, but I do find this grouping of what has happened historically interesting. The bottom line is there's no guarantees in any of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really to me the big takeaway is that this is great how well they're playing right now. The playoffs is a true start over. You just never really quite know what's happening. It's how you're playing in the playoffs that matters. Bengals last year, perfect example of that. Um, do you have any streak thoughts or kind of, you want me to move on? Yeah, I, I would, I'd be interested to see those um, those long streaks where the team uh, lost in the first round. Were they just manhandling teams and were they not tested were they not coming from behind like this Bengals? i think you know i don't think all streaks are created equal and i think that that the way the bengals have been able to do they're not just steamrolling teams that they are able to come from behind and and i, I think that's different because you see that a lot when teams that the comp, competition level is not as great and you're kind of coasting and then you get in the playoffs and you're getting punched in the mouth and it's a it's a whole new game i think maybe that li- that lends itself to some of those, oh, all of a sudden things are different and that, that winning streak just goes out the window. And I, I don't know that the the Bengals would be subject to that sort of uh, history based on what they've done on this streak. No. Um, you know, that this we continue to, to put more onto this Bills game on Monday Night Football. Um, but, you know, if that streak, if they end up setting the franchise record, um, and end up at nine in a row or eight, and I guess tying it at eight in a row in that game, potentially nine against the Ravens um, and have beaten the Bills and the Chiefs and be talking about the number one seed. I think you clearly would look at them as the favorites in the AFC mm-hmm. will have proven you know, to be what I think people are realizing that this team might be the best in the league right now um, and pinpointing the potential of Bengals, Eagles, or whatever that would be. In the Super Bowl, and it's upon us, Jay. It's, it's it is upon us. It is it is that time of year. All right, let's just take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I wanted to bring up before we get to Chad Graff talk about the Patriots game, your story you have out now on Joseph Osai. Um, you've been working on this for a long time, and Joe has been kind of getting his moment to come out a little bit. To the last three weeks, he's had some of the biggest plays in these wins. Um, the sack of Patrick Mahomes the hit on Brady that caused the Pratt interception as part of that comeback. You know, his snaps have increased with some of the injuries at the edge position, and and he stepped right in. Um, 
it's a great story. I highly recommend. Please go up and read it. It's it's about Joseph Osai and his path to this point. Uh, Jay, what was what, what kind of stood out to you as you um, went through this piece and wrote about uh, a very interesting figure in the Bengals' present and future? Just kind of the 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 premise. I I, I think it, you were the one that told me that you had heard that his his mom bribed them with candy to try to get them to, to lose their accent. And I didn't know why that was. And he, he talked about it, that he, he knew English from birth. They, they, they teach it over there and they, they have their native language, but then they also speak English. And now where is he he from? exactly? I'm sorry. He's from Nigeria. Yeah. And um, they, they moved over here when he was 10. So he's in elementary school and he speaks English, but they've got this incredibly thick accent. And um, I mean, not just come to America, come to Texas. Imagine, you know, you're, you're Nigerian, you come to Texas with that thick accent. And he was bullied relentlessly. He came home from school crying every day and and his brothers and sister, too. And that's that's what kind of spurred it, where they would they would work on speaking with what he called the American accent um, at school. And then they would come home and be around each other and they would slip back into their old ways. And so the, his mom, Emanuela, who was terrific to talk to, but she had that thick accent. I, I, I could hardly understand her. We had a 20, 25 minute phone conversation and it's, it was very difficult. Um, but she would bribe them to go the entire weekend or the entire night, whatever it was without breaking with the American accent and bribed him with candy. And that's what kind of helped him become a little more, uh, less socially awkward, I should say. And then he found football and I love the story he tells. And it's in the, it's in there where he, when he came to America, he had an uncle that was watching a Steelers game and he saw Antonio Brown catch this long touchdown pass. The crowd goes wild. He's like, that's what I want to do. And Never mind that he never thrown or caught a football in his life, and he tried at recess and was terrible. Uh, once he joined organized football, um, he he decided that he wanted to be a receiver. Never got on the field. One day, a defensive end didn't show up to practice, and the coach says, "Who wants to play defensive end?" And he's like, "I will." What is it? <laughs> and so the coach <laughs> throws him in there, and he said, "Okay, put your hand in the dirt, beat this guy, and go get that guy." And he. Joseph played a lot of soccer growing up and and he has great footwork and he was strong and he just blew the guy, blew past the guy, sacked the quarterback. Everybody was like, Ooh, ah, cheering. Um, the coach says, okay. Then he puts the guard and the tackle on him. He beats both of those guys. Then he brings a running back over. It's three on one and he beats them. And from that moment on his, his teammates, his class, everybody was more accepting and more welcoming. And that's how he just kind of blossomed as a person, as a player. And um, you, you, you forget about it sometimes that you think these pro athletes just kind of have this golden path to the NFL, that they've been great forever. And it was really interesting to hear the struggles that he went through, both personally and athletically to, to get where he's at right now. Uh, let's bring you a little portion of uh, talking with Joseph Osai. Jay, you want to set this up? Yeah. So we had this was back in October, and we had lunch at. Uh, I, I let him pick the place. It was press on Monmouth. It was very crowded that day. So there's there's a little buzz of activity in the background and clanking of plates. But uh, he he one of the 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 things I talked to him about was 
coming to America and the the expectations versus the reality of what he saw and experienced when he got here. And that's where this conversation picks up. So even though you, you know you're going to a better place, better opportunity, yeah. it, it's still got to be hard at 10 years old to make of that course, kind of course. Of course. It was the biggest challenge. It was, I feel like we didn't see, we didn't see, we didn't know that it was going to be challenging while we were going. But as soon as we got here, then we were like, oh man, these things are different and we're going to have to learn. Like biggest, biggest, biggest transition was our accents. Our accents were very thick. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So people couldn't understand us. And you know, especially going to school, kids, kids are mean. So yeah. and, and anything especially they don't understand, you know what I mean. <laughs> anything they don't understand, they'll make fun of it. Yeah. So um, we got made fun of a lot in school because our accents and the um, people couldn't understand us. Even the teachers couldn't understand us sometimes. So it was hard for them to cater to us and um, help us you know, wherever we needed. So that was definitely the roughest part, just adapting with kids and um, learning a whole different culture because America does have a culture and kind of like putting our culture behind a little bit just to adapt to where we were. Yeah. But when we heard the news, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't think of the immediate challenges at first. No, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't know that there would be any because, um, we hadn't anybody moved to America from our families. They, I'll say the biggest, there, I mean, there were a lot of tiny challenges here and there, like figuring out jobs and trying to get a car, trying to get a license. For my parents, I'm speaking, but um, the, mo- the biggest one that we faced was the language barrier. Yeah. And it wasn't even like a huge language barrier because we spoke English. It just okay. was with a very, 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 very thick accent. I couldn't understand this at all. So You spoke English from birth? Spoken English from birth. So in Nigeria, um, what happens is everybody goes up bilingual because you learn your native language at home, but then you learn English in the schools. Okay. So you grow up, but um, a lot of people don't learn their native languages because it's very patriarchal. So you have to learn your father's language. And if your father's not around to teach you his language, you can't learn your mom's language. That's why they all like, they, they, the, and the, your grandparents or your great-grandparents were really encouraged marrying into your same tribe. Okay. That way, you know what I mean? So that way, if your dad can't, for some reason, isn't there to teach you, your mom can still teach you the language and you carry that on. Yeah. Yeah, but fortunately, unfortunately, my mom and dad are not from the same tribe. So my dad, when we were younger, he moved to the UK to, to um, make some money and send back to us. So he couldn't teach us his language when we were growing up. And my mom was teaching the church and we were fluent in her language, but as soon as my dad's family came over to visit and heard the language, they got really pissed. Like they raised hell, so she stopped and then we just grew up only learning how to speak English, but with a very good accent. All right, great stuff with Joseph Osai. And um, so cool to hear about his story. He's been a very intriguing figure to me. He's He is one of the most conscientious nicest dudes to talk oh, yeah. to uh, on this team um he's he's one of those team type players that we've heard so much about and um he's getting continuing to get his shot and you know I, I thought it was interesting Luana Rumo you you've mentioned this in the past has been a reluctant to mm-hmm. heap praise or or say a lot of great things about Joseph Osai but after the last few weeks you know he was offering a little more now Oh yeah, you're seeing it. I'm seeing the flashes. It's, ha- it's starting to happen for him. You know that you can see him 
building trust and confidence in in Osai and being more willing to put him in there in big spots. Yeah, and it's just it's that it's like that opportunity of coming to America. It doesn't work out right away, but he eventually finds a way, and he he's getting this opportunity now because of. I mean, he was playing a little bit as it was, but most of his most of the games when he played significant snaps were the Jets win, uh, the Panthers win, or the the Browns lost when they were blowing teams out. Um, now that with Hendrickson getting hurt and now Hubbard hurt, this you're really seeing him get more and more significant snaps. Even that that great sack he had against Patrick Mahomes on third down in the Chiefs game, he only played 12 sacks in that game. He made Oops, the most yeah. of a limited act mm-hmm. of a opportunity. Now he's getting a lot more, and he's taking advantage of it. He's making these huge plays. Um, I thought it was funny, too. I, I was talking to Logan Wilson yesterday, and he he had the uh, the fumble recovery ball um, from the, the sack. I think it was DJ Reader's hit force fumble. And he he said, Logan's like, I didn't recover it. Joseph recovered it. I don't know why they put it in my locker. I tried to give it to him, and Joseph won't take it. He said, it's your, <laughs> he said, it's your ball. Uh, so that's just kind of and, – and when you talk to Joseph and talk about next man up, he's like, Cam Sample's the next man up. He's just yep. – he's that guy. He's he's He he wants everybody else to to get the credit. He just wants to go out and do his job and and be a, a nice guy in the locker room and just kind of a, a demon on the field. Yeah. Uh, great stuff. Great story, Jay. Um, hope people will go and uh, and check it out. All right. Um, let's start talking about New England. Saturday's game mm-hmm. against the Patriots. No better place to start in doing that and going to New England with uh, uh, our good friend covering the Patriots for us, uh, Chad Graff. Chad, how are you doing today? Doing well here in uh, Foxborough. How are you doing? Foxborough, yes, yes. I, I say New England generically, <laughs> but I, I realize there's a, a whole a whole region there that's uh, that needs to be addressed. And uh, I am yeah, I'm doing well. A uh, little nervous about the weather getting there, but uh, I think we'll make it. Um, I, I, I'm just curious. I mean, you you spent what? Were you out in the West Coast the entire time between Arizona and Vegas? Just got back from nine days, mostly in Arizona. Mm. They practiced at the University of Arizona, and then a couple of days uh, in Vegas. So I I was hoping that I was going to be putting my feet up, sending pictures back home to the family as they were dealing with snow and cold and <laughs> everything else. It was cold in the desert. I couldn't even brag. It was highs <laughs> of like forty eight. So uh, you know, we're all making the trip from New England. We get to Arizona, and on the news at night is. Prepare for the frost warning. Bring your kids inside. Bring your pets inside. It's going to get down to, wait for it, like 31 degrees. So, oh, geez. Uh, you know, pretty dicey for them out in Arizona. Well, you still made the right call. Nine days in Arizona, probably wiser than nine days in Vegas. <laughs> That's on the wallet, <laughs> on on the headache, on, on all sorts of things. Um, everything. Well, well, speaking of Vegas, I mean, there's been a lot of questions about how the Patriots will respond to that kind of that fluky gut punch of a finish. Um, I'm guessing all the guys are saying the right things about putting it behind them and on to Cincinnati and all that. But, you know, this this defense has really carried this offense all year long. Do you, do you get any kind of sense that this could be something that could fester and create a little bit of a rift? I, I do. I mean, this is, you know, it's not just one game at this point. This is every week it's basically like, Hey, look at this opposing defense. There's, there's a weakness here somewhere, you know, now I'm sure it'll go on to, Hey, the Bengals' cornerbacks aren't that good. So maybe this is the week that the offense gets going, but we're now 15 weeks into this thing. Like if it hasn't fixed yet, it's hard to imagine that Matt Patricia, you know, has the secret key that is going to unlock this offense as we approach Christmas day. Um, so I think that this is just kind of what the Patriots are, which is very good defensively, 
very good on special teams and really bad on offense. And their formula is we're going to play kind of a gross game that every, you know, opposing fan base watches and, you know, isn't particularly proud of. Um, they're going to try to put together long, boring offensive drives, three yards, four yards, screen pass, nothing deep, um, have time of possession. And then frankly, and you know, this is kind of ridiculous to think about when you're talking uh, of a game plan for winning football games, but they have to score touchdowns on special teams and defense. They are number one in the NFL at doing that five defensive touchdowns, one special teams touchdown. Um, Frankly, the offense has been so bad that they have to rely on that in order to win football games. Yeah, that that's amazing. And that's that's a hard way to live. Um, I, I did. I wanted to ask you about Matt Patricia a little later, but since you mentioned him, I'll jump right into that now. Um, there's been a lot of people that talked about this may be being the, the worst decision of Bill Belichick's career. I, I, I'm not really going to ask you to weigh in on that because I know you haven't been there for the duration, but but you have written about how ludicrous the nature of it is. And I'm just curious – if you feel like, have you seen any growth or adjustment in that offense or has it just been them kind of banging their head against the wall all season long? They're banging their head against the wall (laughs) all season long. There's no change. There's no adjustment. Uh, They, you know, they're going to try to beat you with death by a thousand paper cuts. It is going to be screen pass, two yard run, four yard run, three yard run. Um, Mac Jones has taken a massive, massive step back from Mm -hmm. being the best rookie quarterback in that draft class. Um, you will go with Trevor Lawrence is doing what Justin Fields are doing now. Um, it, it's amazing that Mac Jones was definitively better than those guys a year ago. But I think it goes to show you how important coaching is in this league. Yeah. Um, when Josh McDaniels was here and Mac Jones had a very competent offensive coordinator, uh, he played pretty well. He was somewhere, you know, 12 to 15th best quarterback in the NFL last season. Now, Every meaningful stat, I don't care whether you prefer PFF or EPA or uh, success rate, it doesn't matter. He's somewhere 25, 26, 27, 28th best in the league. Um, So it has been a sharp, sharp fall for him. Um, And and this offense, it just, I don't see how it's going to suddenly turn around. And, And then it kind of, and I know that Bengals fans may not care too much about this, but Bill Belichick is going to have a really hard decision at the end of this where Matt Patricia is someone who's been very loyal to him. Belichick's been loyal to Patricia. They're good friends. Is he going to, he, this can't continue. I mean, I I don't know what you do, but is he going to fire him? Is he going to reassign him? Belichick's son is the defensive coordinator. So you're not going to like demote your son to move Patricia over there, which is kind of why Patricia's on the offense in the first place. So it's, it's a mess of a situation. I think it probably largely stems from Belichick thinking and being right through most of his career. Hey, I'm, I'm going to outwork people. I'm going to be smarter than others. We're going to make this work even when everybody thinks it's ludicrous, except this time everybody thought it was ludicrous. Belichick still didn't agree. And it turns out it's, it's been ludicrous. A different kind of leagues than when Bill came in in 2000. And um, you, you mentioned the metrics, the stats for Mac Jones. I, I've got a stat for you. I don't know if you're aware, but um, so, so Mac Jones has seven touchdown passes this year, right? Which is amazing. Amazingly low. Um, <laughs> that's, that's two games for Joe Burrow. Yes, exactly. The, the, the record for fewest touchdown passes for a quarterback who starts every one of his team's games since 2000 is nine by David Carr. So he, he David Carr. 
in 2002. Yeah. So Mac needs three to avoid that dubious distinction. But I, I am curious, is, is this whole thing, is this just what, what Patricia thinks is best? Is this a lack of trust in Mac Jones? Is this a lack of, in his talent or a lack of trust in his decision-making? Or is it just, you know, kind of what Vance Joseph said, it, it's a defensive coordinator calling an offense. I was just going to bring that up. I think it's largely what Vance Joseph said. Mm. And around here that, set off, you know, alarms everywhere. Oh my God, Vance Joseph <laughs> just said this looks like a defensive coordinator calling the offense, but that's kind of what it is. I mean, that's exactly what it is. This yeah. goes back to um, their belief that the defense is so good and the special teams is so good that they just need to muck up the rest of the game and they're going to beat you 17-14. Um, that would be fine if it were happening or if frankly the offense was even getting to 17, but the offense isn't <laughs> getting to 17 without help from the defense. Um, they have six offensive touchdowns in their last five games. Just let that soak in for a second. Six touchdowns in five games. It's obs- They're bad in the red zone. They're bad on third down. They're bad in the rest of the field. They're averaging two red zone trips per game, only going to the red zone twice a game. That's fewest. Um, not just since Brady took over, but the fewest of the entire Belichick era. Um, mm. They rank basically at the bottom in every stat uh, offensively in the Belichick era. And of course, a lot of that was great offensive success with Brady, but they also had a bad 2000 season um, with Bledsoe. They had Matt Castle in 08. They mm. had Cam Newton in 2020 that didn't work out. Like It hasn't always been perfect. So when they're at the bottom of all of these stats in the Belichick era, I, I do think that's meaningful. And then you flip it and you look at this defense and uh, for, for Bengals fans that may not be aware, this the Patriots are the only team in the league that are top 10 in total defense, rush defense, passing defense, and scoring defense. They're, they're number two in total DVA on defense, second in pressures, fourth in pressure percentage, third in sacks. It's unreal. If they just had a halfway competent offense, you, you would feel this team would be really, really good. Um, but I am curious about that that defense. Um, I, I guess it just all starts with those edge guys, right? And Judon and Uche. They're very, very good. Judon, I, I think, is starting to establish himself as probably like that tier 1B below Bosa and Parsons. Just uh, outstanding. And then Uche is a guy who hadn't done much, hadn't played much, um, finally gets some opportunities this season and is – blossoming frankly into uh, one of the best young edge rushers in the NFL so it starts with them Um, the quarterbacks have been surprisingly good like that was supposed to be the weakness of this team Um, and even with Jalen Mills out for the last couple games and possibly out for the game against Cincinnati uh, Jonathan Jones on the outside has been good they've got a couple of rookies playing in Marcus Jones and Jack Jones Marcus Jones is actually a guy who they drafted to be a punt returner, kind of slowly work into being in the slot. Uh, he's been so electric and dynamic, and the offense has been so bad that the Patriots have him returning punts and kicks, playing on defense as a nickel corner, and then they also have him playing on offense uh, as a wide receiver, caught a touchdown pass a couple of weeks yeah, ago. First they half. have him there. It's been, you know, it, it kind of speaks volumes to where the Patriots are at offensively when they take a defensive player and he turns into one of their best on offense. So uh, it's been ugly all over on offense, but the defense has legitimately been good. Their safeties are great. They play with three safeties 
a, a good amount. And I would expect them to do the same with the Bengals kind of living in 11 personnel for chunks of the game. So mm-hmm. um, you'll see three safeties out there uh, and it kind of seems silly, perhaps from afar, but it's really worked for the Patriots. Now I want to go back to something you said earlier where the, this, the Patriots offense is saying, okay, where's the weak, weak link? What could we maybe exploit this week? Um, that, that new England defense is so good. It, where is the weak link there, if you will, or maybe not a weak link, but just you know, an area where they could improve to, to be a, a truly dominant defense? You can run a little bit on them. I think they rank ninth in EPA, which is very good, uh, but they rank second against the pass. Their pass rush is incredible, um, but you can you can run a little bit on these guys and you know, I, I think Belichick would certainly welcome that. If you want to slow <laughs> down the game and uh, get back to that 17-14 idea, um, that, that's where you could do it. The linebackers are good, not great. Um, the middle of the defense is slowly starting to get back to where he wanted. Christian Barmore, uh, who was that second-round pick out of Alabama a couple of years ago, a defensive tackle, just made his return from a lengthy absence due to a knee injury. So that could potentially help. But if there's a spot to have some success against this defense, um, it's against the run. And I would just add one other thing. The Patriots are in a crazy run right now of going up against probably the top five wide receivers in all of the NFL. Um, And that trend continues this week, of course. And so if there's a spot that you can beat them, they have been susceptible uh, against number one wide receivers. Now, of course, everybody kind of is, but they struggled against Justin Jefferson. They struggled against Stefan Diggs. They did a decent job um, against Devontae Adams. And now kind of the fourth member of that top five runs into town. Uh, so we'll see how the Patriots handle that. All right, prediction time. And I, I want to get two from you. I want to get, I want to start with a long-term one because if the Bengals win Sunday, it doesn't eliminate the Patriots or Saturday. It doesn't eliminate the Patriots, but makes it really, really hard for them to get in the playoffs. And that'd be back-to-back years. I think that would be the first time in Belichick's career that that happened, that they missed the playoffs. If that happens, could, could you, you talked about Belichick moving on from Patricia. Could, could Robert Kraft move on from Belichick? I don't think so. Jonathan Kraft, his son, talked earlier this year amid all of the quarterback uh, eventfulness when they had Bailey Zappi in and briefly benched Mac Jones. Um, and he said, look, he's he's earned the right to do things as mm-hmm. he sees fit. And I think that kind of continues this season. Robert Kraft, interestingly enough, at the owners meetings last year, upped the pressure a bit and said, uh, look, it's, it's not good enough that we haven't won a playoff game in three years. Now it's looking like it's going to be four years without a playoff win for the Patriots. Um, I, I do think that Robert will put his foot down a little bit more this offseason and say, Bill, enough. We're not doing defensive guys on offense. Things need to change. Um, but I, I don't think he's going to mandate Bill to move on. He's just going to up the pressure and say, look, you need to lean on your scouts a little bit more when it comes to the draft. You need to lean on the front office more when it comes to roster building and and the salary cap. Um, This is one of the very few spots in the NFL where every single thing flows through the head coach. He's the GM. He's the scout when it comes to draft time. He picks the players. He manages the cap. He does the negotiations. He is involved in every single part of this. And I think the Crafts, acknowledge that, yeah, it was expected that in 2020, after Brady left, it was going to take a little bit of time to, mm. to kind of get back on footing. 
Then in 2021, optimism. They spent a bunch of money in free agency. Mac Jones looked good. Now for it to take this far of a step back, he'll ratchet up the pressure, but I do think Belichick will be back next year. And then on, on the more immediate prediction, Saturday, h- how do you see this game playing out and what do you have for a final score? I was surprised, I'll be honest, when I saw that the Bengals were only four-point favorites, uh, even on the road, even Christmas Eve with people you know, getting this as a gift uh, to come to the game and presumably be loud. But the Patriots have not given the home fans much to cheer for. Uh, and while I do think this Patriots defense is very, very good, the Bengals are playing just so, so well the last however many weeks that I don't see – um, them being able, the Patriots being able to keep pace for the entire game. I think it'll be an ugly, gross first half, and <laughs> it'll probably go into half like 10-3 Bengals or something. And then I think eventually the Bengals will just wear down, and, and I think I've got Bengals 24, Patriots 14. I don't know how they're getting to 14 yet. It might take something <laughs> crazy, but uh, I think the Bengals are going to be covering that four-point spread this weekend. Bengals been a little leaky in kick coverage. Maybe that's where one of those touchdowns comes from. Uh, Chad, this has been great. I really do appreciate you taking the time to jump on with us, and I look forward to, to catching up with you Saturday in the press box. Awesome. We'll see you then, and thanks so much for having me. All right, great stuff from Chad as always. Jay, what'd you, uh, what was your takeaway from the, the Chad conversation? Uh, well, it's kind of more background, but I just, I think, I I think it's so impressive. I, people in this business do it all the time. I I often wonder how I would be able to adjust like that. Chad covered the Vikings forever. This is his first year on the Patriots beat. He's doing an incredible job. That is a really hard thing to just jump in uh, first year on, on a new beat. Especially that one, especially that (laughs) one. Um, And as you heard in the conversation, he was out on the West coast for nine days, he has a long flight back. It's a short week before a game. And he, when I reached out to him, he's like, yep, yeah, whatever you need, anytime, just let me know. He was just so accommodating. So I really appreciate that. But uh, per, to the conversation, just that first question, I, I kind of thought uh, the answer would be, no, this isn't going to cause a riff. And he said, yeah, it might. This is this is a very good defense and a very bad offense. And it's just kind of it, – it's that happens. You, you know, there's some frustration there when – one team is pulling its weight and the other is not. Yeah. Um, I, there was a story in the Boston Herald, too, uh, bemoaning them letting Ted Karras go mm-hmm. this week and uh, and about, you know, that just they're missing, missing some of that leadership, missing that energy, missing that versatility and solid play on the line. And it's in the ripple effect that stuff like that have has had because they were not over aggressive in trying to bring back Ted Karras. And that's why he ended up in Cincinnati and Ted will, you know, uh, will tell you how great things have gone for him since then. He's very thankful of new England, but clearly they, that's a, that's part of it, right? They're just, there's just so many pieces that are missing offensively and the coaching staff is a mess. It's, it's just totally discombobulated. Remember last year they let Joe Tooney walk. I mean, mm-hmm. and he's in Kansas City now. He was voted to the Pro Bowl. I mean, that's that is for years. Everybody talked about Brady and Belichick, but that that offensive line year in and year out was one of the best. And now they're letting pieces walk away. And maybe maybe that's why he is another reason why you're seeing Matt Patricia go with this quick game, and because they know they can't hold up in protection if they're going to have him dropping back. They're trying to throw deeper down the field. I don't think Matt Patricia has much of a clue what he's doing right now. <laughs> Similar to pretty much all of his coaching experiences. Uh, all right. 
Let's go. But he's got a pencil in his ear, Jay. Oh, yeah. You know he's that hard makes worker. That you smart and you yeah. work hard. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, let's, before we get all the way into the game and all our bets and uh, segments and all that stuff and prediction, um, let's. it's Arby's time. Jay, you got an Arby's for me? Uh, yeah, I, I tweeted this one out yesterday, but I, I just I enjoyed talking to Mitch Wilcox about uh, he is going to get his ball back that the he ball. that he spiked into the crowd. The the guy was driving a hard bargain, and Mitch was like, "There's no way." He didn't want to say he didn't want to go on record with what the guy was asking for, but it was basically the moon. Uh, they settled for uh, some playoff tickets and some memorabilia, playoff tickets to any game of his choice. I asked Mitch, "How how are you gonna how are you gonna do that?" You don't get tickets. He's like, I'm going to have to buy them somewhere. So it's still going to cost him uh, quite a bit. Uh, the other thing I really – two other things real quick, a Trey and a Trey story, uh, and these these happen together. I was talking to Trey Flowers about not being in on the, the bet to be the first cornerback, and he and a few others were bemoaning the fact that they were leaving a day early to beat the storm because there's nothing to do in Providence. He's like, damn right, we're going to be playing cards all night long Thursday night. (laughs) (laughs) And as I'm talking to him about that, Trey Hendrickson walks through and he's heading uh, into the the hallway where the the weight room is. And someone at, they're like, where are you going? It's it's not our day to lift. And he's like, ah, no, I'm not going to lift. I'm just getting away from the media. And he looks at me and says, (laughs) no offense. And then he just goes on his way. Oh yeah, Trey Trey Hendrickson. Um, he's consistent in his approach. He is. He's been he's been an Arby's contributor before uh, <laughs> for his general disinterest in us. I appreciate that. You know, you know what you're getting. There, general disinterest in the F general disinterest in anything that we have to offer him, <laughs> and I appreciate that. You know, it's like don't at least he's not faking it. At least yeah. he's not pretending. No. He doesn't want to talk to us. He has no interest in being around us, and he <laughs> prefers that we know that. Um, so, all right. <laughs> so, I've got okay. I've got two. Uh, my first one was it was one of the most festive, happy locker rooms I've ever been a part of. <laughs> yesterday, I don't know. You know, these they've switched locker rooms are now after practice. It used to be in the lunch hour, and it has very much. Lo- you get a much looser locker room because yeah. it's like anything. You know, you get done doing something big and stressful or you know at post workout whatever there's very much an exhale and a a relaxation and so that we've had that and that's part of it i think there was a it was pretty happy after after that practice their their big practice of the week and it was just everybody was there was a lot of christmas gifts going around at one point i saw just a giant wad of bills given to another man (laughs) it was just like there was lots of things happening and uh but at one point, so we're talking to Tyler Boyd, and there's a few of us. There's not a lot, but uh, I'm next to Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Rao, Fox 19, and he's clearly trying to get a story on the Bengals' comebacks and their ability to get comebacks uh, going. And he's like uh, talking about it. He's giving a great answer, and he's about halfway through it, and you can almost feel Jeremy being like, yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden, the locker room speakers turn on and Felice Navidad starts blaring out of the speakers, totally drowning out anything Tyler Boyd has to say. (laughs) 
And I just look over at Jeremy, and he has this huge smile on his face. Like, I don't even care that this is totally a ruined soundbite right now. That's too good. And TB, to his credit, just kept right on going right through it, uh, despite the ridiculousness of Feliz Navidad blaring over the speakers right behind him. It was great. I enjoyed that moment a lot. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but there was a, a pretty heated argument on the the ping pong table. Um, Joe Mixon was giving it to Tyler Boyd because Tyler Boyd's the biggest trash talker in ping pong. And Joe Mixon's like, this is how you beat him. You beat him in his own game. And he was trash talking him. And there was a lot of yelling and arguing back and forth. And as that's happening, it was one of those slow christmas carols that you kind of hear in church and that one that was a that was blaring over the speaker as this raging argument was going on on the ping pong table and it just the juxtaposition just kind of made me chuckle yeah uh, yeah i'm telling you it was a wild locker room it was just one of yeah. those where everybody is feeling good feeling great how are you type deals um, all right, let's go into a Jay's Got Stats segment here. Uh, we've got a couple. You've got a couple goodies, and then uh, we'll we'll get it rolling in towards our predictions. First, Jay's Got Stats. You've got tackle stats. I do. Um, Logan Wilson, last couple games, had these huge amount of tackles, and I looked to see where he was. He's up over 100 now. He's at 106, and so I looked to see what the, the team record is. Um, and it only goes back to 91 where they kept official – Tackle stats, the league. I think the Bengals kept them for a long time, but as far as league stats, back to 91, um, he needs 23 to move past Takeo Spikes for second place. The amazing part is he has zero shot to get the record. There is a huge gap between first and second place for most tackles in a season by a Bengal player. Vontez Perfect had one. 171 tackles in 2013. <laughs> that is 48 more than what Takeo Spikes had in in his year in two in 2000. It's just it's it's really really remarkable. Um, you, you forget sometimes. You, all, you remember all the antics of Vontez Burfick. You forget how dominant he was when he first came in the league. Yeah, early Tez. Yeah, before he became what he was uh, off the field when he was just very firmly focused on football. I mean, it's why people viewed him as a first round player. If it was just drafting a football player who you knew you were what you were going to get every week um, instead of going undrafted Uh, because when he was focused and in it, man, he could bring it. Uh, Okay. Jay's got stats on the borough touchdown pass streak. Okay. So, uh, 21 consecutive games with a touchdown pass. That's the longest active streak in the league right now. He is one of only 25 quarterbacks in NFL history to have a streak this long. Um, There have actually been 35 streaks this long, but a bunch of guys have had multiple 21-game streaks, including Drew Brees. I found this fascinating. He has Drew Brees has the NFL record of 54 consecutive games with a touchdown pass. When it got snapped, the next week he started a streak of 45 in a row. <laughs> he has the first and third longest streaks in NFL history. The second one, Tom Brady, which the Bengals snapped in that 13-6 to win at 
uh, Paul Brown Stadium at the time back in 2013. Um, the, the second longest active streak behind Burroughs 21 is Patrick Mahomes at 19. Man, the 2013 Bengals showing up in Jay's got stats in a couple of different <laughs> spots. How about that? Um, so that leads us to this week's growler bet. Now we said, look, tis the season. We've got the live event for people to come and uh, get some 50 West uh, drink in them. So, you know, we, it's, it's, it's time to be nice. It's time for an accessible, winnable, Ho, 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 Merry Christmas, <laughs> Bengals growler bet. So if you're listening and you would like some delicious 50 West beer maybe at our live event, uh, this is the time for you. You can send your submission to me, pdaner at theathletic.com, or use hashtag Bengals growler bet to us on Twitter, and we will see your submissions there. Of course, if you send me an email, Make sure the word growler is in the headline. As you know, I will give you a shout out if you have a particularly creative way of using that in the subject header. Um, so this week, Bengals growler bet. Time of game of the first Joe Burrow touchdown pass. So he has thrown one in 21 straight games. Time of game of the play. So the snap in the game book. Went off at what time? Now that you would say, no, that's hard. It could come any time in the game, Paul. No, ho, ho, ho. Here I come. 20 seconds in either direction will get you a win. So that's a 40-second span you can hit. The closest to the number will win. Only one winner, unfortunately, unless I start feeling real merry. Which I don't know how I'm going to feel after Christmas. You know, everyone, their spirit disappears on the 26th. This, so we'll see. This is the opposite of the sadistic nun. I know. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm Santa Claus, essentially. The, the benevolent so, nurse. So <laughs> within 20 seconds, closest will get the 50 West beard they can collect at our live event on New Year's Day. So, Jay, what do you got? This is great. It's, it's going to be easy to win, but it's still not going to be so easy that we're going to go broke handing out beer. Um, That's because we're only giving out one. Oh, I missed that part. Sorry. <laughs> the closest. Yes. Um, I'm going to go 101 of the first quarter. I, think, I don't know they're going to take the ball on their first drive and go down, but uh, I think they'll figure out that defense uh, and maybe as a, a matter of a quick three and out on that defense, getting some good field position. So I, I do. I think he'll, he'll, he'll extend that streak fairly early in the game, 101 first quarter. Yeah, I had 822 second quarter. I'm mm. counting some Morrison drives, some Belichick doing some weird stuff they've got to try to figure out early. Um, and and that being, I mean, it just feels like there's going to be a lot of chess game stuff that they're going to have to work their way through. It doesn't mean you can't still throw an early touchdown pass. It's very yeah. much possible. But if I'm trying to, trying to plug it into the right window, that's where I'm going to go. Uh, so send your submissions, pdaner at theathletic.com or hashtag Bengals Growler Bet on Twitter. You got to get within 20 seconds in either direction of Burrow's first touchdown pass. The snap. Okay. Uh, <coughs> run, pass, or boot, Jay. I think you got a good one this week. Yeah, so the um, the Patriots are really bad offensively. You guys know that. They are 29th in the league in third down percentage 
34.1. They're 32nd, dead last in red zone offense percentage, 37.8. And I try to look for another number that might be in that in that range. So I'm going to go with Mac Jones pass attempts. And he every game he started and finished, he's been somewhere between 27 and 39. So what will be greater on Saturday? The Patriots third down percentage their offensive red zone percentage, or Mac Jones pass attempts? Well, I think they'll fall behind a little bit. I do I do think that they, they're not going to be playing from ahead even if they get their defense going early. Um, so I, I'm going to probably shade to the higher pass attempts. That said... I like I do like the Bengals defense on third down. I do like the Bengals defense in the red zone where they excel. Um, so it does make it a very hard one. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna run with Mac Jones pass attempts. Uh, I'm gonna pass on Patriots third down percentage, and I will boot Patriots red zone. I think red zone is gonna they could have a zero on that one. They could have a zero on that one, or they could have a hundred. They could get down there once and convert it. And so that's for that reason, uh, I'm going to run with red zone. Um, even though I don't expect them to score a lot of points, I'm going to boot Mac Jones pass attempts, uh, or I'm sorry, I'm going to pass on Mac Jones pass attempts. I'm going to boot third down percentage. The, the Patriots were two of 13 for 15% last week against the Raiders. The Raiders are not a great defense. Um, I do think this Bengals defense is going to give them fits, uh, so yeah, get the, get the third, you, you went, you went pass on third down. I'm going to boot it. I just, I don't see that happening. And I do, I think a red zone, a limited red zone opportunity, and they maybe cash it in late for a hundred percent for 50%. I think that one will be the tops. Okay. It is officially prediction time. So let's wrap this up. Uh, Jay, how do you see this one and why? So th- it's about numbers and not names. And we should have learned this lesson last week with everybody say, oh, it's Tom Brady. It's Tom Brady. It's crunch time. And he hasn't played well all year and he didn't play well against the Bengals. And now it's it's everybody's talking about Bill Belichick and the Patriots and the Bengals can't win in New England. But that's that's history. That's not what the numbers say this year. Um, I I think the Bengals win this one. Um, I think they cover. And as we did on our fictional bets on Tuesday, I think it goes just barely over um, the and may I've got Bengals 23 Patriots 17 and maybe one of those uh, touchdowns is, as Chad pointed out in our conversation, a defensive or a special teams touchdown because the Patriots lead the league in those. And that seems like it's the only way they can score. It's possible. Uh, certainly what they're going to be looking for. And you, know, you could see like a, a Matthew Judon sack fumble Strip. or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, or, or tip pass as we've certainly seen them be able to, I think Belichick, you know, if you can see Bill Belichick being like, okay, let's get some of these tips because they're working to create turnovers and, and having a lot of guys with their hands up in passing lanes and finding ways to make that work. Uh, certainly you could see something like that being at play and they're going to need it to. That's how they, that's how they have to win games right now. They have a, an elite defense and a putrid offense. It's, it's the, it's the, who they are. That's why, but that's why I have the Bengals winning. You know I mean? It's just a matter of if you have a weakness, you're in trouble because this team is so well-rounded. They're playing so well right now. Also, the Patriots have played four games this year against teams that currently have a winning record. They are 0-4. Mm. 
Uh, they lost in week one at Miami, 20 to seven. They lost in week three at home to Baltimore, 37 to 26. They lost in week 12 at Minnesota, 33 to 26. And they lost in week 13 against Buffalo, 24 to 10. All by at least seven points, three of the four by double digits. Buffalo went to New England as a three and a half point favorite and won by 14, 124 to 10. Sounds good to me. Bengals 24, Patriots 10. Uh, I I think it's going to be a similar style of game as that one. It's just the Patriots offense outside of the defense setting them up. Um, it's it's a game plan where if the Bengals don't turn it over, they keep it clean and don't allow the Patriots defense to turn their offense into opportunity um, and force the Patriots to drive the field, force the Patriots to make hay uh, with Mac Jones. Um, that's a game that I don't, is is in the Bengals' favor in a big way, um, and they're just on such a roll right now. I have a hard time, I have a hard time, uh, you know, playing plotting anything against them. That Ravens offense scoring thirty seven against this Patriots defense doesn't even seem like it could be from this season. That just well, shows and you it how, really, yeah, week three, you week know? three, yeah, it's that's how different the league changes over the course of a season. Well, in standard, you know, Bill Belichick early in the season, a lot of figuring out what yeah. he's got, playing with pieces, and really getting it humming later in the year. And I think you can you see that now where their defense makes plays, but still they're not totally unattainable. And when you have an offense that's giving the other team short fields, it's turning it over, that is doing what, what Scott Zolek said, maybe the dumbest team I've ever seen where they're just <laughs> poor situationally um, and it's costing them all kinds of margin points, which Bill Belichick has always been the master of. And this team has been really well in those, done really well in those spots. I mean, they've, they've done a good job with situational stuff. They've done a great job in the margins. They've done a great job in high leverage situations. And the Patriots have not, specifically offensively on the, uh, for them. So... I think that ends up being the difference. Bengals win with relative ease. And uh, we come back and we start talking Buffalo in a huge week, Monday Night Football. And we've got big plans. So we, uh, we're we very excited about everything that's going to come for now. Uh, Jay, have a very safe trip to New England. Uh, enjoy yourself up there as much as you can. And uh, we will talk to everybody on Christmas Eve. Uh, for the walkout as we wrap up everything from there. Uh, I'll be writing from home. Jay will be writing from Foxborough. And we'll have you all covered before we come back. Everyone celebrates Christmas, and then we're on to the Bills. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good night, everyone.